We are speaking with Victoria Kitchuk, the founder of Coco Bean Town Tours and Events, a chocolate education and experience provider. Yes, I said it, chocolate. And I know everyone is thinking the same thing. How can I become a chocolate experience provider too? We'll be researching this later, believe me. Coco Bean Town provides events and event services for public, private, and corporate groups with the experiences being anything from walking tours, virtual and in-person chocolate tastings, and pairing events, trivia nights, picnics, and so much more. They specialize in connecting consumers to other small businesses who make quality bean-to-bar craft chocolate. Their events discuss everything from history, geography, world culture, and more with the intention to connect people in real time while creating a memorable experience. On today's episode, we will, of course, be talking about chocolate, but about conducting tasting events in person as well as virtually. So welcome to the show, Victoria. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for coming on to the show with us today. We are so excited to have you. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. I always have chocolate around, so there's always potential to have a good day when that's... Oh, yeah. Well, you're talking to someone who I am. I can't have too much chocolate in my house because I do not have any limitation or self control. So you're talking to the right person. Um, I so I did attach a brief intro, letting the listeners know about um, your story and Cocoa Bean Town. But I I do want to hear from you, kind of how you got into you know this endeavor, this creating this business and. I'm not going to ask why chocolate because I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's your motivation? Well, that's pretty clear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The the joke line answer to that is that um, my mom likes to say I was born with chocolate on my mind because (laughs) my birthday, uh, which is actually Sunday, May 15th, um, is National Chocolate Chip Day. And... I, um, that was not my, my mother's due date when, when she was pregnant with me. And, um, so I, I just had to wait for just the right day as it turns out, but the, and that's a hundred percent truthful folks can Google May 15th national chocolate chip day. But, um, the, the true kind of trajectory of things was that, uh, in college I worked, um, for the admissions office at my school as a tour guide, helping friends and family, mm-hmm. you know, take in the campus and learn about the school, not knowing at the time, because it was something I took on just as a way to earn some extra bucks for school and, and fun. And um, I would later use that experience when food tours became a thing about about 12 years ago or so, at least in the Boston area, mm-hmm. um, tours were starting to really crop up and become really popular. And so I took a part-time job as a tour guide. And the way my eye was kind of attracted to the position was that it was an ad that said, do you like people and do you like chocolate? <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Does it also say my name on the ad listing. That's <laughs> your name, Victoria. So I applied thinking that no matter how much or how little work came from the experience, it would always be fun. And at the same time, I was working as a freelance writer. And part of the work I was doing was food, restaurant, entertainment related pieces for 
uh, website content development and things like that. So I was already communicating about food in a different sense. And I started doing the tours and what I thought would honestly be a summer gig turned into about eight years of a contract work. And uh, a few years ago, actually in 2017, uh, the person who owned that business, uh, he had multiple businesses and had owned businesses for decades, um, more or less decided he was no longer interested in running a food tour company and shut things down. I was really distraught. I think a part of me was like, oh no, all my chocolate freebie. disappearing my supply network. But yeah, the other thing truly was that I realized that there was a lot more that I thought I could contribute in the space and that there had indeed been ideas over the eight years that I had shared that maybe didn't get prioritized or they kind of got put on the back burner and, and never really a lot of enthusiasm went behind them. And um, I thought, well, you know what? I really do think those ideas are worthwhile and there's something that can be done with them. And so someone who had never envisioned becoming a business owner was at a point where I was considering taking the leap. And and let me tell you the imposter syndrome thing. I know it crops up for lots of people in different professions and different lines of work. When you have never anticipated becoming a business owner, at least for me, uh, I didn't want to be one of those folks, those stories where they take a leap and then very quickly after they fall on their face. So I spent a lot of time talking to people. They, They say, you know, always aim to be the least smart person in the room because you want to surround yourself by people who know more than you so you can learn from them. And I just did everything I could to tap into my network and talk to the people that I knew that already were business owners and had owned businesses for years. And, and and it was all nature of businesses too. It was just getting advice from people who had all these different experiences that I could draw from and ask them, honestly, do you think I can do it? Uh, When the first couple of people said yes, without hesitation, I was feeling good. But by the time the 10th or 11th or 12th person was like, yeah, you can do this. I was like, why am I hesitating? I know. It's scary. You know, yeah, it, it was incredibly scary. And I am not a totally risk-averse person, but I understand when there are certain risks that have great consequences, it is worth mm-hmm. doing your research. So I decided to take the leap after all, and Cocoa Bean Town will be celebrating five years in business this fall. Wow. Congratulations. Um, so, yeah, thank you. It's, it's really exciting, especially considering what the last two years have been like. Oh yeah, uh, but it it has allowed me to now be able to claim the job title of besides a small business owner and a, a founder, but I am a chocolate sommelier or chocolate educator. I literally get to write chocolate purchases off on my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Adult achievement unlocked. Yes, and um, it's been something that people are always surprised to hear that it's a professional. Uh, opportunity, they they usually get a little bit retroactively angry at their high school guidance counselors for not telling them that it was might have been a, a actual career choice. But um, I think it's also been something that has even surprised me at times. What sorts of opportunities have have arisen from choosing a very niche business with a very niche skill set? 
Well, that's awesome. That's an amazing story. And I'm, I'm glad you, you know, took the leap of faith because a lot of people don't do that. Like you said, it's scary. And, but sometimes we just got to take that risk, especially if it's this type of opportunity and surrounded by chocolate all the time. It's worth it. Totally. And like you said, regarding the last two years, I did want to ask not just how it's been with the pandemic, but did you guys, were you guys doing virtual tours prior to the pandemic or did you start doing that because of the pandemic or how did that work out? Yeah, no, virtual events was not something um, that we were doing at all. The business prior to, um, excuse me, March, 2020 was pretty evenly split between chocolate-focused food tours in neighborhoods of Boston and areas around it. And um, also, the other half was doing in-person events. So bringing a tasting event to a corporate office for a team builder or Mm -hmm. uh, bring them to a private home for like an anniversary party or a bachelorette party or something like that. So um, the virtual events, I had heard of them in the like, chocolate tasting space a little bit. I, there, there was a few people, um, in the, the kind of, uh, craft chocolate community, um, that, that had sort of conceived of a format of doing it, but it was not something that was on our radar. Actually, we were about to launch a new format for our in-person tasting events just, just prior to the pandemic. And so we got shut down. And and lots of businesses did, but it was also an interesting case of not only were we zeroed out basically overnight, but we had people that had bought tickets in the future or had put uh, you know retainers down for in person events, and now so not only we don't don't have any revenue coming in, we're having to issue refunds because yeah. we don't know when we'll be able to do an event. Yeah. So during um, the pandemic. Did you start doing the virtual events? Like you've kind of figured out how to do that? Or how did that work? Yeah, that was a, it was another, you know, the trial by fire phrase (laughs) comes up a lot with these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, initially it was, you know, remember when we were all really cute at the beginning and it was (laughs) like, oh, it'll be done in a couple of weeks, right? It'll be, oh, yeah. You're like, ugh. A month, a month will yeah. pass. Well, a month. It'll be done in a month. You know, oh, June 1st, June 1st. No, for real this time. <laughs> yeah. It was really quaint and cute of us to, to think that would have been the case. So initially we, it was my thinking that, well, if that is going to be the case, because I, like everyone else had, had no experience, luckily being yeah. in a global pandemic before I thought maybe, okay, if it's, it is going to be June 1st, we can hang out for a couple months. It's not the most comfortable position. But um, we can hang out. And to be quite honest, the the reality for our business is because we don't have a brick and mortar. We work for, with the events in a sense of like being a caterer. We're bringing it to a space. Yeah. Um, in the the nice sense was that okay, no commercial rent to worry about. So that was great. That that was not an overhead situation. But on the other hand the visibility drops significantly because if we're not marching people down the street with our little logo goodie bags or bringing an event to a space and putting our signage up, people are going to forget about us. And that was my first concern. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want people to necessarily worry about 
you know, there was a lot of pull at that time, like make sure you're buying gift cards for restaurants and things. And I was truly like, well, if it's going to be a month or two, Cocoa Beantown can be okay because we don't have that staff and that overhead to worry about. But I just don't want people to forget about us. So Mm. I started doing just um, live stream shows once a week on Sunday, figuring that people were literally locked in and worried about, you know, what to do. Yeah. And, you know, for even adults, just staying at home, stressing. I know a lot of uh, young people in Boston that was just their anxiety was going up. They were worried because they they also were working salary jobs and they weren't, weren't getting hours. They were furloughed. So I was like, if we can m- make for maybe a one hour distraction once a week, and that's valuable to people. I, it wasn't even, you know, we weren't even charging. I mean, it was a free live stream. So I got on there and was doing chocolate chats and it would be topics like, you you know, the masses, the history of chocolate in Massachusetts or uh, um, chocolate in the environment. And we even got into themed ones as time went on about how to pick out the best Mother's Day chocolate, you know, helping people like a gift. So trying to be useful, but also entertaining and and just really get people's minds off the awful thing happening outside. As that went on, and it was clear that June 1st was not going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. It then was, okay, we do need to find something else that brings in revenue. The only thing that we had done prior to that, that was a ticketed virtual experience was this weird kind of um, brainstorm I have had related to Easter. And we did what we call a virtual Easter egg hunt, where I literally went down to a park um, it's not far from my apartment and hid Easter eggs and took pictures of like the scene, kind of like those old seek and finds from like a highlight. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. And then we sold, it was just like $5 tickets like, per family. And we said, we would release the pictures on our social media, the Sunday morning of Easter and whoever, you know, would be different categories of like who was the fastest and who who found the most eggs we even had a chocolate bunny in one of the pictures that was like a surprise bonus if you could find that and that wasn't a huge money maker but it was the first dip into a monetized um virtual event and mm-hmm. the feedback was across the board whether it was from families with little kids or just adults that were like, finally, an Easter egg hunt I can participate in without shame. <laughs> you know, they, they don't let you attend the ones that the kiddies do in real yeah. life. You, know, you could sit on your couch in your jammies with a glass of bourbon and search for Easter eggs if you yeah. want. Um, people over and over, over again, sent in their photos with the circled eggs and a note that said, you provided so much distraction. I think this is the first time I've smiled in two months. That's awesome. That was really, it filled my heart up because obviously we've all got rent or mortgages to pay, but part of why I do this is about intentional moments of joy. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that virtual events were going to be something important to us. And Taking it, the tasting events from in-person to virtual meant acquiring a new skill set of, um, I've learned so much about the U.S. Postal Service and FedEx and oh, UK and shipping chocolate. Um, 
not something that I, I had any depth of knowledge in before. And then also the different way that has to be conducted and how to make timelines because you need to get the information from the client. You need to package things up, then get it shipped and make sure you ship it uh, in advance of the event and then conduct the event itself. So there was a weird moment where I was like, wow, used to be event days were super go, 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 really stressful because you have to drive to the location, set up before the event time, conduct the event, then clean up and all this stuff. And now it was more protracted where the all the kits and, and chocolate was being assembled ahead of the event day. And then the event day, you know, if an event's at 5 p.m., I can sign on to the Zoom at 10 of <laughs> and just, you know, leisurely start, um, initiate an event that way. So those all were sorts of uh, transitions that now seem really old hat two plus years into it. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive. I I can imagine that virtual tastings are really hard to coordinate. And I did have a question for you since you've kind of gotten a hang of doing virtual tastings or you know what it takes if you had any tips or maybe maybe the major mistakes that you've made in the beginning when doing them that you can kind of share with other people that are trying to do virtual tastings as well? So the, the shipping component is obviously huge and it is also the part of the process that's really important because you have to, if your, your folks don't have their chocolate or, or whatever you might be tasting out for the event, um, even though it's possible to still learn things from the event and engage with it, uh, people are a lot less enthused to watch their cohorts eat chocolate on the <laughs> windows when they yeah. don't have, you know, they're still waiting for theirs, theirs to arrive. Yeah. So, uh, but it is the part that's out of your control. As I have often had to remind folks that um, though Cocoa Bean Town has been really lucky to have found, you know, found our pandemic pivot that enabled us to overcome the losses of 2020 and build on that success. Um, we still, we don't, we don't have that Bezos money. Like we're not, we don't have our own planes. <laughs> yeah. Drop it in, drop it yeah. in the backyard. Yeah. Not even close. You know, at Christmas time, there's only one guy with flying reindeer that can make overnight. <laughs> um, so those, and it's, it, you know, we can laugh about it, but there are some folks that, that go, well, what do you mean? The chocolate yeah. is delayed. Well, I can't help that there are truck drivers shortages in some areas or yeah. sorting machines that got thrown away or um, weather, you know, uh, uh, electrical outages, snowstorms, all sorts of things that can happen that you can do your darndest and build in cushion time to a schedule. And sometimes things just still don't work out. And there are two choices for on the client end at that point. They can either acknowledge the human side of life and, and know that we as a small business did everything we could to make sure things happen the right way. But inevitably, there are sometimes these perfect storm situations. Um, and I, I can say for sure that December 2020, that was that perfect storm of 
you know, the systems were overloaded. All the shipping carriers were totally bombarded. Mm -hmm. Um, There were planes that were being diverted for vaccine distribution. And um, and there was weather situations and people ordering more stuff in general. Um, So there were there were cases of, um, you know, if you had sent things, I mean, my my parents live in Connecticut, a two hour drive away. And my mom sent my Christmas present two weeks before Christmas. I didn't get it till January 7th. Yeah. It's, it was just, you know, my, my mom was upset because she's like, you don't have a Christmas present to open on Christmas. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? It's okay. Cause it's (laughs) here and then it will be a celebration again. You can either make things worse by trying to pin blame on folks, but I, I luckily have not had many situations where um, folks, you know, were kind of unduly trying to pin blame. But I think it's a good rule for any time you have collaborations between businesses that with everything that we've all been dealing with, it's so important to, to just as in your personal life and your professional life, maintain a sense of grace and patience for people as much as you can. Yeah. And that goes both ways. It's always hard when you are dealing with maybe a client or a customer that doesn't have the same grace um, or understanding. And I mean, you can't do anything. I mean, you just have to be like, well, it is what it is. But that's a good tip. I always wondered about like the shipping and stuff that kind of went went on behind virtual tastings and getting the food there. But I didn't even think about the disaster that we've had obviously not just COVID, but the effects it's had on our shipping, even now, like we are greatly understaffed. Um, So yeah, patience across the board and understanding is key for everyone participating in anything. So that's a good point. And are you, are you guys still doing walking tours? Are you guys back to doing like in-person walking tours? Yeah. So we, um, when the virtual tastings began, um, I thought initially that that was going to be in totality what we would be doing until the all clear sign happened. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, what was also interesting was that at the same time that was launching, which expanded our reach because Cocoa Bean Town, our name comes from the nickname for Boston being Bean Town, and then the connection to chocolate being made from a cocoa bean. So we like to say everything, you know, from a chocolate perspective. But um, most of our customers, if they weren't local, the reason they were finding us is because they were traveling to Boston, you know, for business or, or tourism and coming on a tour or perhaps attending a public tasting event that we would also occasionally do. And um, when the, the virtual events happened, now suddenly there were, you know, we would work with a company in California and, and ship chocolate to their company over there or um, internationally. We actually put up a map. We just uh, redid our website about a month ago and we have a map now where we plotted all the international places we ship chocolate to. We've got pretty good coverage amongst, you know, I think we've, we've hit at least five continents and um, it's been interesting with the, the local fans that were already 
aware of us while that the virtual events were getting launched, they started requesting by the end of summer 2020, is it possible to do an in-person event? And I really wasn't sure. And, and to be honest, I was kind of surprised. I was occasionally getting emails or social media comments to that effect. So I started thinking, well, is it something that is reasonable to do? Because I, I want to satisfy customers, but I also wanted to be safe and responsible. I'm really fortunate. I have a family member that works in public health, which I highly recommend everyone getting <laughs> that in a pandemic situation. It's a great resource. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I have a friend that's mistakes. She's in it and I text her all the time. I'm like, what is this? Why do I feel like this? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true because, you know, they can break down, they can read the full re reports and then break it down, you, you know, to the, these are the need to know things. And uh, so that's what um, I was lucky to have that resource because yeah. especially in that first summer, we, we still didn't know, we don't, didn't know then what we know now about all the different kind of aspects of what, what would be safe. And so I, I felt confident after discussions that doing something totally outdoors for a shorter time than the walking tours, the walking tours were about two to two and a half hours on average and um, doing it in a small group uh, would be reasonable. So we launched something called a chocolate tasting picnic which essentially is just a chocolate tasting, but outside on a picnic blanket. And I really didn't know how that would go over, but I, I it was my best effort to provide something in person for the folks that were interested. And once again, um, people gave us feedback that was like, I had no idea how much I needed just an hour sitting outside you know, seeing a couple, a few other human faces, but feeling really safe and enjoying chocolate and, and it just helped my stress. And so we did those for about, let's see, they launched in August of 2020. And I think the last one we did was the first weekend in November. And that, then it just turned too cold. But, uh, so that was something I, I was really confident going into the following summer that at the very least with the, the regular tours on hiatus that the picnics were something that we could do. And we also offered those at a lower price point too, because it was a shorter experience than the walking tours, understanding that so many people also were struggling financially with furloughs and layoffs. Yeah. So we really tried to answer a lot of different pain points for folks. And um, so the following summer we did picnics consistently for the public and took a few private tour bookings here and there as they would arise, but didn't uh, schedule the public tours again as a regular ongoing thing. Prior to COVID, the public tours were regularly scheduled all year round. Mm -hmm. So it would be something even in the winter we would do because they were an indoor outdoor sort of thing where we walk folks into restaurants for a little bit and then we go to a next one. And um, this year, it looks like we will be able to start the public tours up again, probably next month. And um, we already have some private and corporate bookings for them as well. And the picnics, I think, will also um, be scheduled a little bit intermittently. But it is a great option for folks that um, maybe if, if the walking tours, you know, the price point 
uh, is out of reach for them. Maybe they have a larger group or something. Because uh, those don't take as much organization mm-hmm. as the tours because it's just us as opposed to with the walking tour, we have to coordinate with all the locations that we're visiting. And for the public walking tours, uh, do you have any like top tips that you would also suggest for first-time planners? Um, kind of like you said, coordinating and the organization that goes behind that. Any like main main suggestions you can give? I think with um, food tours and public walking tours that... Um, especially when you're visiting other businesses, I think the, the thing that people most wonder about, cause I get the question from some of the tour guests occasionally, but I know that other folks who have an interest in business or perhaps, you know, starting something in their town or area is that how do you work out the compensation situation with the businesses that you're working mm-hmm. with? And because some people assume, oh, well, maybe you're getting everything for free because it's marketing for the restaurants because you're bringing potential customers or making sure they're aware of these other businesses. So maybe you're getting everything for free or discounted. Yeah. Um, I know that there are some food tour companies that specifically ask for that, like approach a business to say, hey, we'd love to work with you. If you want to work with us, you have to give us the food samples for free. Um, because we're providing you this benefit of help, you know, advertising and and getting mm-hmm. people aware and bringing them into your shop or or store. Um, I, for myself, don't feel comfortable assuming that everyone is able to write off food sampling as a business expense or a marketing expense. Yeah, especially coming out of a pandemic when restaurants were and they're still struggling. You know, I know still. Of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have ones that, you know, close here still that say that we, we were trying to catch up, but it's just, it's not going to so happen. Sad. Yeah. And places that some of them, I mean, we're, we're excited to be reaching five years, but in restaurant yeah. worlds to reach five years is yeah. like the pinnacle, Never mind places that maybe have been in business 15 years. And having to close down because of this situation, it's it's awful. Yeah. So I have always, whenever I've worked out par- partnerships with folks, I always make it very plain that I am comfortable with what they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I think you just have to, because if your business model is built on, well, we have to get this stuff for free, then by rights, in my mind, you are... You, it's not an equal partnership because they have the right at that point to tell you, like, we just can't afford this anymore. And so we can't work with you anymore off the tour. Mm-hmm. And that problem co- cropping up on a surprise, like intermittent, you know, could happen at any point, just like a business can close at any point. Um, I think that's a lot more risky to have to potentially deal with at any point then just saying to folks, okay, maybe, maybe we work out, like we pay your wholesale costs or, or can we control portion size and, and that mitigate costs a little bit? Mm-hmm. Like there's all different ways to work it. Um, and I think that uh, some food tours really approach it as like, well, the vendors need, <clears throat> excuse me, the vendors need us way more than we need them. 
And that's not the case. Because if you don't have anyone that wants to work with you, you don't have a food tour. Yep. That's true. That's a good point. Well, honestly, I could talk to you about this topic all day because I'm I'm a huge foodie. So it, it naturally just really interests me. I mean, plus chocolate, obviously. Um, <laughs> but in the show, I did want to ask if you could give us maybe your best or favorite fun fact about chocolate. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> um, ooh. All right. Can I give you two? One's, yes. really, one's a real short one. And it's just kind of a funny one. So um, Cocoa Bean Town's been uh, up to a lot of different things recently. We just um, came back from uh, Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago for the D.C. Chocolate Festival. Uh, we're invited to... Uh, put on a program there that was about uh, how chocolate is a comfort food. Mm -hmm. But in the program, there was a lot of sort of trivia things. um, And it was really fun to see folks who, because folks who go to a chocolate festival, like that's leveling up in your chocolate nerdom. (laughs) I need to go to one. (laughs) Yeah, I think you should. And they happen, there's like a Northwest chocolate festival. Dallas has one. Um, Also, Cocoa Bean Town um, will be co-organizing the next New England chocolate festival. Uh, Another great um, sort of milestone that we've achieved getting named that. Mm -hmm. But the DC one was the first one to come back since the pandemic in, in the U.S. So the last time they ran theirs was in 2019. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there was, there's some fun, fun facts we shared in that. And the the one that people laughed at the most, just because it's kind of so silly. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a connection between, uh, chocolate and Mm Coca-Cola and it has nothing to do with the recipe or the, the taste or anything like that. But, um, next time you get, especially one of those glass bottles, like the, the, the Coke from Mexico that comes Mm -hmm. up in glass bottles or sort of the vintage old vintage style looking. Yeah. Uh, you can think of chocolate because the shape of the bottle is inspired by the cocoa pod. Oh, yeah. It was actually a design firm in Indiana. Basically Coca-Cola put out this contest nationwide because there were a lot of cola competitors at the time. And they just felt like if we're going to last, we need to find as many ways as we can to be distinct. And so they thought if they had a distinct bottle shape that would be appealing and they actually specified make the bottle so distinct that in the dark, if someone just (laughs) feeling the contours of the bottle, um, they would know it was. Oh, that's cool. The Indiana design firm went to look up uh, coca and looked up cocoa instead and saw that the pods had this bulbous shape in the middle Uh and ridges. And so those design elements, though, they've been more exaggerated in the past and they've streamlined it as time has gone on. Yeah. But the shape of the Coca-Cola bottle was actually inspired by a cocoa pod. Oh, that's a really good fact to know, actually, because when you see that, you can be like, well, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'll be the like the great, yeah. exciting nerd at your next foodie. Dinner <laughs> um, but the science based one that we've also been talking a lot of in our virtual tasting events is that 
Um, and because people are talking about self-care a lot, right? Yeah. And certainly chocolate is a comfort food. So everyone is already aware it's emotionally healthy <laughs> to eat chocolate, <laughs> if nothing else. But it, it there is science backing up that there is real substance to the notion that it's good for you because uh, chocolate actually st- stimulates all four major neurotransmitters. Oh, I feel that whenever I eat. <laughs> Trust me. Um, yeah. And it's usually, you know, it's everything from endorphins that you usually get only after you go on a run. Um, oxytocin that usually is only um, stimulated when you like cuddle someone you love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, so all of these different ways that you and also like dopamine. The dopamine. Word, yep. Um So there's all these different things that really happen when you have chocolate that normally you would have to do all these separate activities, right? (laughs) Go on a run, cuddle someone you love, uh, you know, get a good compliment, uh, you know, all that's such a good marketing right there. You don't have to do everything. Just eat this chocolate and everything you need. Totally. It's like a really, really um, efficient. Yeah. <laughs> Save time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and and the, the last neurotransmitter, I, I couldn't think it was serotonin. Oh, yeah. Serotonin. Which is when you have a good sleep. Mm-hmm. So don't go on the run. <laughs> you don't have to cuddle anyone. You don't have to wait for someone to give you a compliment. And you don't need to get good sleep if you just, <laughs> just eat, a piece eat the, the chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Well, I definitely feel that whenever I eat it. So that's probably why I def- I love chocolate. Me and my husband love it. So, Good. so now you know the science. Like yeah. It's not just it's it's I mean, it's in your head, but it's not just in your head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on to this show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and I know our listeners enjoyed it. And after we're done here, feel free to send me any links that you want me to share. And I will go ahead and post that on our blog or wherever I share in like the show notes so people can learn more about Cocoa Bean Town. Great. Thank you so much. This was really fun. I love being around other chocolate uh, fans and nerds. Mm-hmm. And um, anytime, anytime you come to Boston or oh anytime we could do a virtual event, um, love to feed folks chocolate because, you know, it's, it's just going to be good, good things. Uh. Yeah. Well, now I know about festival. I honestly didn't know there was chocolate festivals. So now I'm going to start looking and mm-hmm. I need to attend one of those because that sounds great. Yeah. You'll, 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 you won't regret <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that situation. 